Why are we doing this, Peg? The last time we had a party, it was a disaster. It was our wedding. <laughs> I rest my case. Give me one good reason why I should go through with this. I won't make you have sex for the rest of the month. Deal! Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Married with Children podcast here down under. And I've bought shrimp balls. Today we are reviewing Breaking Up is Easy to Do, Part 1. And this is Season 11, Episode 14, and originally aired for February 24th, 1997. My name is Annabelle, and I am better at actressing than all of you. I'll take your word for that, uh... Well, uh, my name is Matt, and uh, oh, I'm just really deflated right now because in a past life, I could have been a pro football player. And I'm Stefan, and you sure are my nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have an ordinary, an ordinary? An honorary Australian here with us in the Jiggly Room tonight. Stefan, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to uh, finally record with... With you two, I've recorded with both um, uh, Steven Tyler and then Chris and Luigi, so finally get to record with you two. I've been really excited for this, not going to lie. Yes, it's been great to, ha- great, to ha- great to have you with us, Stefan, from the land of 10,000 lakes. Very good. You know, a lot of people don't know Minnesota from, you know, abroad. Well, um, as I said before, Stefan, I mean, my second oldest friend being from the U.S., from Hawaii, for that, from Hawaii to be precise, uh, probably gives me an advantage over a fair few other Aussies. So this is Breaking Up It's Easy to Do, part one, as I said, part one of three, the second of two three-parters Married with Children ever did. But this is part one, and there's still a lot to cover just in part one alone. So this episode was written by Eric Abrams and Matthew Berry, and directed by Mark K. Samuel. So the guest cast for this episode is Harold Sylvester as Griff, Lisa Robin Kelly as Heather, Jake Johansson as Dr. Longo, Kelly Beals as Nancy, and Jerry Jerry Del Sol as referee. And presumably Lucky as Lucky the dog, but I don't remember seeing him in this episode. No, I didn't see, I don't remember seeing this episode either. I I rewatched it this evening before we recorded, so I don't recall seeing um, our Lucky. No, he's in the next episode. It's the longest-running comedy on television. Well, duh. And this Monday, Married with Children is celebrating its 250th episode. What's going on? Nothing much. Your mother and I are breaking up. Take care of yourself. With a one-hour special. Thanks, Al. For the first time in our marriage, you are leaving me satisfied. It's the Married with Children. George Clooney eats your heart out. You have to see to believe. Damn, I'm hot. The 250th episode, Monday at a special time, 9, 8 Central on Fox. And the synopsis, care of our good friends IMDb, Al agrees to let Peg invite the Darcys and Griff, plus one, 
to an evening party in exchange for a month of no sex. As a party game, the pairs test their knowledge of the other half. Unfortunately, Al has forgotten the most romantic night between him and Peg, who throws him out to the doghouse, literally. Meanwhile, Kelly is auditioning for a role, but faces stiff competition from her, neve- from her nemesis, Heather Talrico, another blonde bimbo. Che- Kelly challenges Heather to a boxing match. The loser has to give up the role. So this episode's title, Breaking Up is Easy to Do, is of course a pun on that popular Neil Sedaka song, Breaking Up is Hard to Do, co-written by Sedaka and Howard Greenfeld. He and Sedaka recorded the song twice, in 1962 and 1975, in two significantly different arrangements, and it is considered to be his signature song. And apart from Sadaka's only working of the song, by far the most successful cover of Breaking Up is Hard to Do was done by the Partridge Fam in 1972. While only a medium hit in North America, their version reached number three in both the UK and Australia, and another song by the same name had previously been recorded by Jive and Jean and the Jokers in 1959, and we will no doubt play one or some version of this song at some point. Now there's another Mary Children title, uh, episode title that takes its title from a Neil Starker song. Matt, do you know which one? Oh yes, uh, if, if, I, if, I build, if I build one correctly, it's uh, season 10, episode 16, Calendar Girl, uh, which, is, which is actually used in the episode itself. Indeed you do. And that's the, that's one that I uh, guessed it on with uh, Luigi and Chris. Yep. That was fun. So besides the England shows at the end of season six, this is the only three-part episode, or the only other three-part episode arc in the in the entire Married with Children series. So only two times did they extend to a three-parter. Not that they did two-parters that often, but speaking of two-parters, parts one and two aired as a special one-hour episode originally, and it was advertised as the 200th episode special episode as you would have heard in the promo. Don't you mean the 250 don't you mean the 250th episode? Oh sorry 250th. Did I say 200? Is that 200? Yeah that was back in season 9. Well, I mean I was reading it I said 250th. So parts 1 and 2 aired as a special one hour episode of Merit Children and this is advertised as the 250th episode special as you would have heard in the promo just now. Mm-hmm. And they called it Unmarried with children. Spoiler alert. I see what they did there. Yeah, I think that would have been a better official title. <laughs> Just my opinion. And I don't know about you two, and like I mentioned this in our chat, but even though, you know, it's not, to me, like in my opinion, I consider this to be the unofficial series finale for the show. Yeah, I, I there's an argument for that. Um, I think the show should have ended it this way kind of if they're going to go this route they should have ended it with this there's a couple of good episodes to come well i say good i mean decent but there's also some really crap episodes oh yeah but this would have made a a nicer ending yeah it it was very it was almost poignant yeah it would have been a far better ending than the cough chicago shoe exchange cough yeah that was the last episode aired you would you would call that a uh, a burn off episode, which is like one that aired after the show ended, but just well, it was it had never been aired, and they kind of put it on after it got canceled. That's really common with animated shows where they'll they'll do uh, burn off episodes that aired before the you know official finale, not like 
a lot of animated shows have finales, but that's not uncommon. Yes, and they do it a lot with uh, short-lived shows that, you know, may only run about four episodes and then they might burn off the others and late night or one advantage of living in Australia is some of these shows that only get you know four episodes for example on American TV they might air say the whole eight or the whole 13 that were produced in total over here and including a couple of series that murder children people have been in so that I've been able to get them that way yeah so we don't we don't we haven't had many one hour special episodes of Married with Children. I mean there was It's a Bundleful Life, of course, in season four. A classic. Oh yeah. We'll see how this one stacks up. But there were some instances where an episode was aired and then followed by a special, for example, or two separate episodes aired back to back. So this is a treat. Now there is some more background on this episode that, that we'll discuss when we get to the final scene, but there is a a, a early draft script that I have on my site and I will post the link but it's worth reading just to see what they originally tabled because word has it the this the taping of this episode was delayed because of that earlier draft because it was slightly more serious but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it yes yeah I, I always love um with with a lot of movies like how you know years later with on dvd or whatnot, you see the alternate endings or the original endings, which sometimes had to be changed because they were tested, you know, poorly. They didn't fit the the mood. One example of that is: uh, Have you two ever seen the movie Death Becomes Her? Yes. Do you know about the original ending to that? I did. Yeah, I've got the DVD. I just can't remember. <laughs> oh well, it's not on the DVD. It's never been released, but I'll uh, I'll send you. Kind of a video where Goldie Hawn talks about it. Oh, uh, I th- yes, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, it's way more like melancholy than the original ending. Yeah, which I mean, the original ending is just really wacky, but yeah, it's way more. Yeah, but I love that movie. Me too. Can't say I've seen it. Can't say I've seen it myself. Oh my god, you oh. should see it. It's great. Adds two to watch list. Thank you, Stefan. Mm-hmm. I remember Goldie Horn on Graham Norton's show, and she was amazed at how all the audience were asking her about Death Becomes Her. And it's usually, you know, Overboard or Private Benjamin or First Wives Club. But in the UK, especially with the gay audience oh, yeah. or the gay following, it's just Death Becomes Her, Death Becomes Her, Death Becomes Her. That's, yeah, huge here, too. Side note, I do love Bruce Willis in that film. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was great to see him, like, you know, playing against type. Nice. Yes, that's yeah. always fun. Mm-hmm. Nice, yes, I, yes. I need to see it now because, well, we're playing different sort of roles when he normally plays. It just shows how good of an actor he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's married to Meryl Streep, and they've just got this this relationship where just one of my favorite exchanges in the film is, "Oh, it's you, fine dear, thank you, like a rock." Yeah, and I mention that because I like marriage jokes, mm-hmm. and in this episode, we've got a huge marriage joke. But is it such a joke? Anyway, let's begin with the actual episode itself. Yes. Well, it starts off with a cult, the typical cold open for season 11 with uh, Al groaning, why are we doing this, Peg? And wanting one good reason for, we don't know what exactly they're doing yet, but uh, Al speedily agrees once the deal is no sex for one month. Oh, just my luck. One month without sex and it's February. I'm taking on two extra days, Peg! <laughs>
shrimp balls. Well, I can see that, but what's in the bowl? <laughs> I always feel so welcome when I come into this house. Yeah, I must be doing something wrong. Ooh, shrimp balls. Those will go great with the ketchup I'm serving. <laughs> oh, I see someone's been watching Martha Stewart. <laughs> but just his luck, it's February. <laughs> I, li- I like that joke. Yeah. I don't know about, you know, so it seems most people don't like the 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 cold openings that this season did and the shortened credits and I've no I don't know about you two but I noticed this this theme among 90s kind of sitcoms a telltale sign that your show is about to end for a show that's been on the air for years is when they shorten down the opening credits or they get rid of it altogether. I think I've mentioned it already but i do feel that married children had the show is becoming like other 90s or mid 90s sitcoms mm-hmm. um in that way and you know it's a it's a cost cutting it's a cost saving um measure they they chop the opening credits up and then you know if they went on to season 12 they might not even have opening credits they just have the actors names superimposed over the front but yeah i think that was a sign and it was just yeah and it just became too because of the new producer, the new team, yeah, it became very nineties. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I'm not a, I, I'm not opposed to a cold open. I just don't think it's married with children because it, it just always starts with the fountain. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's some shows like Home Improvement used them in the nineties, and uh, one of my one of my more modern favourites, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, has cold opens, and uh, some of which are classics, like the I Want It That Way one, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> has a very short opening credits itself. But that's more because TV productions change, and TV opening credits are a lot shorter these days. Uh, I mean, personally, I like longer opening sequences, like say Married with Children's, as The Simpsons, as All in the Family, Staying Three. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people's attention spans are getting very short, and yeah, Brooklyn Line Nine is lucky to even have an opening sequence, albeit a short one, but still. Like, look at Modern Family. So Marcy and Jefferson are at the door, and Marcy has brought shrimp balls. I love, I love, uh, Al's insult here. <laughs> and for, for once, I have in my notes, for once, I, I don't think this ever happened on the show. Correct me if I'm wrong if it did. Al insults Jefferson before Marcy. Before Marcy. Hmm. Yeah, sometimes he insults them together, but yeah. That's really rare. I, I, when they're together, that's that's. I don't remember that happening. <laughs> yeah, and they will go well with the ketchup that Peg is serving. That's what she's been making this whole time, apparently. Yeah, sure thing, Martha Stewart. (laughs) A reference to Martha Stewart. Wow. Should I read about Martha Stewart? Go ahead. Martha Helen Stewart was born August 3rd, 1941, and is an American retail businesswoman, writer, television personality, former model, and convicted felon. As founder of Martha Stewart Living... um, as Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, she gained success through a variety of business ventures, encompassing publishing, broadcasting, merchandise, and e-commerce. She has written numerous best-selling books, is the publisher of Martha Stewart Living Magazine, and hosted two syndicated television programs, Martha, which ran from 2005 to 2012, and Martha Stewart Living, which ran from 1993 to 2004. In 2004, Stewart was convicted of charges related to, related to the I'm clone stock trading case. I'm clone. I'm clone. 
I don't know. There was speculation that the incident would effectively end her media empire. But in 2005, Stewart began a comeback campaign and her company returned to profitability in 2006. Stewart rejoined the board of directors of Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia in 2011 and became chairwoman of her namesake company again in 2012. The company was acquired by Sequential Brands in 2015. And now she works with Snoop Dogg. I was just going to say, yeah, one of my mom's best friends... I guess, saw her show live. It must have been Martha, because I know it was like around 2010. And she said that when the cameras were were off, she was not nice. Oh. Yep. I can believe that, yeah. I have an episode of Martha from 2005, because Katie Seagal was on it. Oh. Nice. I can't remember what they made now, but I don't think it matters. Like brownies or something. Nice. Weird to see Katie Seagal cooking. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't, she wasn't making ketchup. (laughs) Or or whatever, she served anthrax in season six. (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch that. So who's up for some passion? Well, she takes her clothes off, I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Who's your date, Griff? This is, um, Nancy. (laughs) Okay, who's up for some passion? If he takes her clothes off, I'm out of (laughs) here. It's a party game, you idiot. Yeah, it tests how much you know about the person you love the most. Hmm, Fair enough, I'll take John Wayne for 20. (laughs) It's a party game, you idiot. And I, I have here this... And this shows you maybe, I don't know if this is maybe lazy writing, but usually Marcy has way better insults for Al. Yeah, usually she does. Yeah, she's not really trying. Like, you you, you primordial ooze. Yeah, <laughs> that's my bakery bit. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been, and I don't remember who, it might have been um, Alex and the old crew who said, you know, towards the end when uh, Ed O'Neill and Amanda Bierce couldn't stand each other. It must have been really satisfying for them to just jab at each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Or else cathartic, perhaps. <laughs> mm. So this party game tests how much you know about the person you love the most. And of course, Al says John Wayne. And it's well established by this point how much Al loves the Duke. Yes, very much so. He His his uh, image uh, retrospectively has been really tarnished. You know, the... Uh, how it's, well, I mean, I mean, rightfully so, how it's come out, how, you know, John Wayne attacked the, uh, the Native American activist or tried to mm-hmm. at the Oscars in, ni- in like 1972. Yeah, she's just received the apology from the Academy Committee. Oh, yeah, right. Yikes. Yep. Sashing little feather. But yeah, apparently John Ray- Wayne is a racist and he, was, he, was, he had to be held back. It took six security guards to hold him back. Yeah. Ouch. Whoa. Yeah, not a nice man. Yeah. I wonder what he'd think of, you know, today, you know, with like Indigenous Peoples Day and whatnot. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure sure he wouldn't be happy, but yeah, he doesn't sound like a very nice man at all. When bigots are unhappy, I'm happy. (laughs) Ha. (laughs) So that takes us into our truncated opening credits. And then we're back, and we're in Gary's aerobic studio. Mm-hmm. Good uh, continuity there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I have been climbing these stairs for over an hour. 
I am not getting any higher. <laughs> Kelly, this chick boxing movie could be your big break, okay? You gotta stay in shape. You know I appreciate good continuity. Yes. Or any continuity by this oh, point. God, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, sitcoms like back in the day, a lot of times had poor continuity. And I think it's been brought up on this podcast before how, you know, like back then there was it was it was very hard to like watch all the episodes at once. Whereas now, you know, they're available at the click of a button. Yeah, but they should have, you know, script. Exactly. Supervisors and script continuity people to keep track of this stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's a TV show. Yeah, Full House, I always felt like, was one of the biggest offenders of that. Oh, and Golden Girls. Oh, days. yeah, oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes, oh, we could do a whole episode about the others. Oh, God. Are both of you in that Golden Girls group? Yes. That me and Alyssa are in? Okay, I'm pretty I sure am, I invited yeah. you. Isn't that hysterical? Yes. Yeah, I've been there for a while. <laughs> That's wonderful. So now we, we get into the, the uh, B the B plot line of this episode, and it is a B plot line with a capital B. Capital B. Because it does not intersect with the A plot at all. No, and only part one has a B plot. Yeah. There's something very independent to what Alan Pegg are going through. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much a separate episode in itself. Like, yeah, like, I feel about A and B plots on sitcoms. I I can take a separate or weaker B plot as long as it intersects with the a plot by the end yeah like like on the on the abundantful thanksgiving is that what the episode was called that that just aired um because you know like the a and b plot that the a and b plots were separate but like at the end you know they came together when they all gathered when they were all at the bundy house and shared the sweet potato pie to me that that's okay because they because they intersected at the end yeah, there's a reason for mm-hmm. for the B plot kind of thing. When I think of A and B plots and what holds up as a, a good B plot that's almost as good as an A plot, the episode I always think of first is The Agony of Defeat in season four. So Al's dreaming about feet, but is that the A plot or the B plot? Because meanwhile, Kelly tricks Bud and Marcy into thinking they slept together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they sort of weave and intertwine amongst each other without actually having to deal with each other but it works Mm -hmm. yeah they um i think it was like family guy or one of those shows that kind of made fun of that where where someone was like they walk in like a a character from the b plot walks into the room and they're like who are you what are you doing here and he's like oh yeah i'm in the other story and walks away (laughs) yeah Uh, but yeah the b plot in this episode is um yeah they're in gary's aerobic studio and kelly is on a stairmaster, not going very high (laughs) or not getting any higher (laughs) (laughs) and buds with her i don't mind like stupid kelly a lot of people are really bothered by that i personally thought the joke um the the joke on the uh the chevy weight episode where she's like you're an oink quack moo meow i I thought that is one of my favorite kelly exchanges ever yeah i didn't mind that i just hate i hate stupid obvious jokes like combing the classifieds yeah (laughs) okay and also the one in the christmas episode you know separate these eggs um that's up there as well but i don't yeah it's just some like she's just gone too far in some cases yeah okay 
but on the stairmaster, like I just you know quick little jokes like oh I'm climbing these stairs I'm not getting any higher mm-hmm. and joke that's fine right move on it's just that's right Kelly is a dumb blonde right because we're now int- going to be introduced to another blonde she doesn't strike me as that dumb but I don't know if she's meant to be a dumb blonde but she's a Kelly she's cut from the same cloth as Kelly uh oh skanker alert well, let, let me, me tell, tell you something, something about this cat. She has claws. Uh oh, skank alert. It's Heather Talrico. She's always going after my parts. I wish she'd go after mine. Well, well. It isn't the little bimbo that couldn't. Well, well, if it isn't the human thigh master. I don't know about you, but I at first thought this was Jenny McCarthy. If you know who she is, you, you should know, you know she is, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I know who she is. Yeah. Um, um, she's got that vibe, yeah. And I um, I wrote in my notes, how the hell was Jenny McCarthy never on Married with Children? Yeah, it's the kind of show she would have done back then. Yeah, she, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, how come did she never have a guest, a guest appearance on any, any season? Any, uh, yeah, like, just, I, I don't, I mean, she seems like an obvious choice for that. Maybe she was unavailable. I mean, I just looked looked up a bit of a career, or she was doing a dating show called Singled Out. Yep, Singled Out. Yeah. So she may be doing other stuff, Steph, and nothing unavailable. So maybe they would have got her on if there was a season twelve of Married to Children. Uh, mm. Now, just remo- note to self: I need to rewatch Basketball because I didn't know who she was at the time when I watched that. Uh huh. I was only fourteen when I saw it. I didn't know who she was back then. <laughs> I always remember her from uh, Scream Three. Oh yeah. She was only in two scenes as her character um, says right before she gets killed in the second scene that her the act she is in the movie herself. Right. I, I love how Scream 3 is finally getting the appreciation it always deserved. Oh, I love the first three Scream. Oh, no, I, I don't. There's no such thing as a bad Scream movie as far as I'm concerned. I just liked some more than others. I haven't actually seen five yet. Mm-hmm. It's it's good. Anyway. It, it's darker. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. This is not Jenny McCarthy. This is actually Lisa Robin Kelly, who sadly is no longer with us. Oh but no. But she was probably um, she'd been most known for being on that '70s show as um, Eric's older sister. So Lisa Robin Kelly. She also ap- appeared on Married with Children before, playing a different character. But she was in Kelly Doesn't Live Here Anymore back in season seven. Do you remember her? Well, was she one of the the high school girls that like like were too like the, the teacher was taking to the diner to show like what you'll become if you don't study or whatever? She was she was the girl who came in on her own. She had that tight blue dress on and she's like, um, she was Kelly was her idol and she said, You're always my idol. I need some advice. Got it. And Kelly's yeah, gave her the advice. Pretty good advice, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, oh, you must have had a hard life. <laughs> was she the one where, where Kelly was like, you know, like, uh, say, say to them, say to your mom, you know, dad hasn't been looking at you right. Trust me. No one will want to look at you or even talk to you for at least three days. Oh, it's brilliant. She said, tell your mother she's starting to look like your father. <laughs> 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 and tell your father that it's that time of the month and nobody will look at you for days. See, Kel- Kelly could be very smart and savvy a lot of the time. Yeah. 
Completely. My my favorite, my favorite dumb Kelly line ever on the show is the one where like Al was looking for like to replace the Dodge. And Kelly's like, there's this guy in the newspaper selling a Mercedes for 50K. You don't even need money. You just need letters. You know, you could get a lot of K's from those notes they keep sending home from school saying Kelly's an idiot. Yes. And then she literally collects K's. Yes. <laughs> like the, the K, like from the special K. Yeah. That, that, that is my, my favorite Kelly line, period. And then right at the end, she finds out she needs a G and not a K. <laughs> right. Uh, how many of those do I need? <laughs> 50 Gs? Uh. Yeah, so Lisa Robin Kelly, interesting last name. Yeah, uh, she was on that 70s show, as I said. But days after checking into a rehab house in California in 2013, she died in her sleep. And she was only 43. So um, in early 2014, the coroner concluded that her death was due to an accidental, unspecified oral multiple drug intoxication. Yeah, very sad ending. But in this episode, she's, yeah, she's Kelly's nemesis or perhaps a frenemy. But they're both going after the same role. That becomes abundantly clear. And Kelly refers to her as the human thigh master. And the thigh master is probably associated with Suzanne Summers, I suppose, especially in America, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So the thigh master, everyone knows the thigh master, but it's an exercise product designed to shape one's thighs. Who'd have thought? And as with most fitness products marketed to homes, advertisements often emphasize that the thigh master could be used while doing something else. The infomercials featured people watching television and exercising with the thigh master at the same time. And it was advertised mainly in the in the 90s with Suzanne Summers. Great legs. Thank you. How do you get them? I used to do aerobics till I dropped. Then I found Thighmaster. Every single time you squeeze Thighmaster, you strengthen and tone right where you need it. So it's easy to squeeze, squeeze your way to shapely hips and thighs. I thought I'd never fit into these jeans again. Thank you, Thighmaster. I recommend it and use it. The secret to shapely thighs is exercising these muscles with just the right resistance. This balanced resistance coil is designed to give you results quickly and comfortably. Want to tone your upper chest and arms? Thigh Master will give you excellent results. Thigh Master, we may not have been born with great legs, but now we can look like we were. And she she claims to still use it to this day. Well, she might, but they might be paying her. I don't know. No. So this this boxing chick boxing movie could be Kelly's big break. So Skankler over here might get it instead. Bud seems to like her. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelly says here yeah, she's going to get this role for two reasons, but holds up three fingers. <laughs> and the first reason she said was, number one, I am better at actressing than you are. And she sort of smirks a little bit here. And I like to think that's because of the fact that actressing is a bit of an in-joke for Christina Applegate. Because there's there's been uh, several interviews over the years and during Married to Children, that she has mentioned that she got some some of or most of the inspiration from for Kelly Bundy from, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's called The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. It's a documentary film by Penelope Spheris, who directed Wayne's World. And in that, there's a girl, not unlike Kelly Bundy, she's interviewed and she says she wants to do 
actressing. She literally said that with all seriousness. And Christina Applegate saw this and was like, oh my God, that's Kelly. So that's a doco from 1985, I think. I think that's the one that has Ozzy Osbourne with his hair like frizzed out and he's spilling orange juice all over his frying pan or something. Yeah, I, uh, I've never seen The Decline of Western Civilization. Um, I, love, uh, I love Wayne's World, though. It was a favorite um, in my household. Uh, my parents have always been big uh, SNL fans. Yeah, I was. I like. I like some of SNL from that. You know that second golden period they had in the late eighties, early nineties, which gave us Wayne's World. But Wayne's World, anyone who's a Married to Children fan should see that anyway. Yeah, because Ed O'Neill's in it. Mm-hmm. And then they should watch Wayne's World too, because Ed O'Neill and Ted McGinley are in it. <laughs> I forgot Ted McGinley is. I've seen I've seen Wayne's World two maybe twice. I've seen the the first one a ton of times, like a ton. Oh well, yeah. I mean, the first one is if you're going to rank them or rate them for the first one is better. But I enjoy both of them, and also the for the fact that Tia Carrera is in them. Yep, iconic. My friend, um, when when I told him I was doing the Married with Children podcast, the first thing he said was, "The new Alante." Yes, <laughs> he remembers. He remembers that episode well. <laughs> we listened to that episode when we were driving back down from uh, Duluth to Minneapolis on the Fourth of July after the fireworks to like introduce him to the podcast. He thought it was good. Nice. Yep. So I consider that a little in joke with Christina, and she does do a she does smirk a bit after that line. Oh yeah. So Kelly and Heather are going to meet up in the ring, just the two of them, and the loser, which will be Y O U, won't try out for the part. I guess there's no other actresses who are up for this role. Evidently not. Yeah. <laughs> Either that, or Kelly's already taken care of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can believe that. Yeah, I could believe that. She's going to give her a knuckle salad. <laughs> give me a knuckle sandwich, Kelly. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm in training. <laughs> Look, Heather, I am going to get this role for two reasons. <laughs> number one, I am better at actressing than you are. And number two, I can box. Really? Mm-hmm. You want a piece of me? <laughs> There's an exclusive club. <laughs> okay, just you and me in the ring. Fine. And the loser, which will be Y-O-U, <laughs> won't try out for the part. You're on, frat house toy. Be here Sunday, four sharp. Oh, wait, I can't. That's, that's when I get my manicure from Mateo. <laughs> Don't you just love him? No, I know. He's <laughs> Make it three, then. I'm gonna give you a knuckle salad. Sandwich. No thanks, I'm in training. That's a classic Kelly line where, like, she's corrected and then still still doesn't get it. <laughs> okay, so we're back at the Bundy house and they are playing this passion game. Oh yes, the passion game that Jefferson brought. Mm. <laughs> it looks, the board is a total knockoff of Monopoly. Oh, and it's part Monopoly, it's part, um, what's the game they play in The Mystery of Skull Island? Oh. Yeah, I remember the the game. Yeah, it's Ethical Dilemma, it's just with the spinny thing, and yeah. I I used to mix up both of these episodes. That's fair. They they had that similar 
uh, plot or you know the side plot or whatever with the them playing the game. Yeah, yeah. I used to mix up the where she's like, "What would you do if your husband was a sh- uh, like made no money, was a shoe salesman, named Al?" Oh come on, it doesn't say that. Oh my god, it does. <laughs> it does say that. that was great, just great delivery. <laughs> it does say that. <laughs> oh my god, it does. <laughs> so whatever this game is, it's it's yeah, it's uh, some it's more like a newlyweds game or just some sort of lovey-dovey married couple game. But Marcy's favorite song of all the songs in the universe is you Light Up My Life. Now, You Light Up My Life is a ballad written by Joseph Brooks and originally quoted by Casey Sisk? Sure. Sizzik? For the, for the soundtrack to the 1977 film of the same name. And the song was lip-synced in the film by its lead actress, Didi Cohn. Didi Khan, who played Frenchie in Greece. And the best-known cover version of that song is a cover by Debbie Boone, the daughter of singer Pat Boone. And that held the number one position on the Hot 100 for 10 consecutive weeks in 1977, setting a new record for that time. So right around Marcy's formative years, I suppose. Yes, well, considering Amanda Beers was born in 1958, so if Marcy's a similar age, and that does fit up. Uh, and speaking of that song, I also like Leanne Rhymes' cover 20 years after that. Okay, is it a faithful cover? Uh, it is actually, uh, yeah, it is a pretty faithful cover, so uh, yeah, so definitely recommended. I don't hate the song, it's just so, I don't know, overplayed and overwrought. <laughs> like, my heart will go on before my oh, heart yes. will go on. My uh, my boyfriend, we were driving in the car the other day, and that song came on, and he just immediately changed the station. <laughs> Good call. I, I still like it, probably because we haven't heard it. I haven't heard it in a while, and you know you, you don't hear it. Like You can actually go 10 feet without hearing it now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I was watching Third Rock from the Sun not too long ago, and that song was mentioned. This is about a year after Titanic. Mm-hmm. I think Dick said... Dick said something like, the boat sank, move on. (laughs) (laughs) I've still never seen Titanic. I mean, I was only only six when it came out, but I've never actually got around to watching the film. I watched it when it came out because of Leonardo DiCaprio. You have to see it, Matt. Oh, yeah, definitely watch it. Um, There are parodies I prefer better, and there's a French and Saunders parody about it, and they make fun of the song as well. Oh, yeah, they're good. I love the the Futurama parody. It's great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's fake, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Jefferson knew that Marcy's favorite song is "You Blood Out My Life." Jefferson. Uh... <laughs> oh, look, love bug. We're about to go from first kiss to eternal bliss. <laughs> I'm about to go from up to Chuck. I mean, does this seem out of character for Jefferson? Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't know anything about Marcy except that she has money. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, he used his some spy skills once again and did a crash course on her. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe she threatened to cut him off for real. <laughs> mm, yeah, that 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 would that would whip Jefferson into line. Right. Uh, Marcy wanted to be a princess. Princess Marcy. Can you imagine? <laughs> okay, Jefferson. What was Marcy's childhood dream? Oh, my princess wanted to be a princess. Yeah, and that talk about out of character, that seems out of character for her. Yeah, because she'd be, you know, president of the bank or something. 
Yeah, and at this point, you know, she's clearly like, you know, a feminist. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I can see, say, seven or eight-year-old Marcy wanted to be bank president even back then. Yeah. Yeah, even isn't season, season one Marcy when, when she was sweet and innocent looking. But she and Steve were... <laughs> she liked it when Steve was a greedy, materialistic pig. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we didn't mention Griff's date. He's got a date as well, and her name is Nancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only because he looked at um, her name badge. That's how he remembers her name. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, Griff, what is Nancy's idea of a perfect romantic evening? Of course, we just met, so I'm just guessing here, but I'll say pepperoni pizza, foot rub, and a pile of kung fu movies. <laughs> But he seems to know an awful lot about her. And Nancy is played by Kelly Joy Beals, who, according to IMDb, only has uh, five credits uh, to her name. This was the last one. Uh, She was on... um, So, uh, uh, Alyssa and I, for for her podcast, When TV Was Great... Uh, we did an episode from The Nanny. I'm pretty sure I shared it with the group. I don't know if y'all listened to it. You should. We had fun with it. Um, she wanted to do the episode where um, this actress, where this actress was on, where she played a uh, shop assistant, where uh, Fran become like becomes a shopping addict and real, and she realizes kind of she needs help, and you know it's a Parallel to drug addiction. Yeah. And Married with Children did a similar episode, too, of that in season 10 with Peg. Yeah, so I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and uh, Alyssa wanted to do that one so bad, and I actually kind of don't like that episode. So maybe she'll do it in the future. So if Marcy wanted to be Princess Marcy, Griff is a, has a pretty sure bet that Nancy's dream was to be Mrs. Jimmy J.J. Walker. I bet Nancy's dream was to be Mrs. Jimmy J.J. Walker. <laughs> Dynamite! Dynamite! Yeah. <laughs> Dynamite! The Jimmy Walker, we know, of course, from Good Times, which has now got extra meaning after talking to the one and only Michael Moyer. Yes, indeed. Who got his start on Good Times. But Jimmy Walker, born... June 25th, 1947, has been mentioned on Married with Children before. I think if you look back to the Christmas episode in season seven. So, but he's best known for playing James Evans Jr., JJ, the oldest son on Good Times, which ran from 1974 to 1979. And his catchphrase, dynamite. Hello. <laughs> Aren't you glad you let your fingers do the walking? Because you got kid dynamite doing the talking. Yeah, if you if you have never even seen an episode of Good Times, you you know that catchphrase for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I def I definitely knew that catchphrase before I even saw the, an episode of the show. Mm-hmm. It, it was decent. It was decently big here in Australia, but not like it was in the US. Because uh, a lot of American shows were big here in the U- in Australia, Stefan. But we also had a lot of British shows that were big here too. So some American shows didn't make it here, so to speak. Right. Yeah, Good Times was one of the few that got repeated that I re- remember seeing on TV. Some of those Norman Lear sitcoms got repeated um, more recently than the seventies, but others others have I don't I haven't seen on scheduled anywhere from on any channel ever in my lifetime. I mean, 
they should bring back, for example, Sanford and Son and replay that. Yes. But but yeah, that is definitely a well-known catchphrase, a well-known show. If you don't know the, like you say, if you don't know the show, you know the catchphrase. So what about Peg? When she was a little girl, what did she want to be? Oh, oh, it's, uh, I think it was something about, you know, sucking our life out of him. <laughs> now use that beer sponge you call a brain. Well, since sucking the life out of my husband and leaving him an empty husk is too long for the card, I'll say, um, I'm a cowgirl. <laughs> Try again. Uh, a cow? <laughs> How many times have I told you? When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a ballerina. Cowgirl. No. I mean, who doesn't want to be a cowgirl? <laughs> <laughs> so when Keg was a little girl, she wanted to be a ballerina. And we get to my favorite line here of the episode. <laughs> well, you sure are my nutcracker. <laughs> You sure are my nutcracker. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I probably wanted to be a ballerina when I was a little girl. I mean, I did do ballet, but I was more interested in tap. And I still am. So I guess I wanted to be a tap dancing veterinarian when I was a child. Mm. And now, now I do tap as a hobby, and I don't like the sight of idea of sick animals, and I'm squeamish, so I didn't become a nurse either. Mm. But yeah, I was making fun of his soulmate's childhood dream. So they go back two spaces, and now they're not even on the board. Oh! Right. Anybody else sense doom around here? I think I do. Uh, this is actually reminiscent, uh, speaking of Norman Lear, of a classic All in the Family episode, the game is Bunker's Play, where uh, ev- the, the, main, the main cast and the neighbours, except for Archie, are playing a different board game, but it ends in a somewhat similar manner to th- this scene. We'll get to that when, when we get to the end of this scene. It involves rage quitting as well. <laughs> uh, Stefan, you mentioned the Nutcracker. You remember... Al and Marcy's exchange way back in season one. I see this here and I don't remember it actually. Oh, it's whose room is it anyway? When Steve and Marcy come over, Al's going through the bills and Marcy says, mm-hmm. So yeah, from season one to season 11, she's still his nutcracker. And then we got here, um, they, what should be an easy question. Um, uh, Al is asked, when is Peg's birthday? And he knows it's the month that has a vowel in it. Oh, that's just... <laughs> uh, he tries. He tries. <laughs> I know this one because it's a month that has a vowel in it. Uh, How long have they been married? Hey, one question at a time here. Uh, I'd say... Mm, March... Twelve. April twelfth. Hey, and I'm for a shot in the dark. That was close. He did get. He got fairly close. I mean, he's a month out, but an exact month out. He he guesses March twelfth, and Peg says April twelfth. And April twelfth is significant in the Married with Children universe because that is Ed O'Neill's birthday. That's right. Oh, yeah. So they've they've popped that in, hopefully knowingly. Mm-hmm. So for a shot in the dark, that was close. Yeah, and you have here, yeah, so it was, and Peg's birthday was previously established as April, and um, Every Bundy has his birthday, which we don't have to discuss that episode. Yeah. Because <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, good. You know, again, good continuity there with the show. Yeah, a little bit. I agree, and definitely that's definitely in character for Al not to remember Peggy's birthday. Uh, I mean, he's the complete opposite of me in that regard because I feel really bad if I forget someone's birthday because I I got pretty much I, I'm single, so I don't have a current girlfriend to remember her birthday for. But I remember basically all my family's and most of my friends' birthdays, and I feel bad if I forget one or screw one up. Same. Well, Matt, take take some advice. Make sure you know your your girlfriend's birthday. I know you will, but I'm just saying. Oh yeah. That my my now husband thought my birthday was the day before. Oh. Um, mm. For the first couple of times. Oh. But I'm like, excuse me, because <laughs> he thought it was the fifth and not the sixth, and he said he thought it was the fifth because that reminds with Sith as in Star oh. Wars. <laughs> Yours is easy to remember, Annabelle, because 6th of December, uh, that's easy, well, that, I'm giving what my mem- memory's like anyway, and uh, plus uh, my uh, now-departed best friend, Rob, he was the 5th, funnily enough. Mm. Right. Uh-huh. You're, so you're December 6th, Annabelle? Yes. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm June 6th. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Half a year apart. And Matt, it's April 6th. No, you're not. <laughs> no, uh, nice try. No, I'm, not, I'm close, but not April 6th. No, it's March third, right? <laughs> Guess again. <laughs> but you're literally one of two, two, two or three friends of mine, Annabelle, that remembers exactly when my birthday is. <laughs> well, it's actually the same day as Michelle's birthday. That's, my sister-in-law. That's right. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Also, David Hyde Pierce from Frasier. That's right. So Al knows the ninth play of his championship game. Because of course he does. <laughs> Forty-two blast on two. Have either of you two ever seen the movie? We should, we should review it for like a special episode of the podcast. Like after all the episodes are done, um, Little Giants. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. That is Ed O'Neill playing like a more put together Al Bundy mm, with hair. Like he's kind of a, a has been football player that coaches like a a, a pee wee team. Yeah, he's the success of the brothers. Yeah, and Rick Moranis is yeah the. It's it's it, it was one of those like in the early so in the early nineties we had Mighty Ducks if you've heard of that oh yes I know yeah. Mighty which Ducks. is an institution in Minnesota of course. huge <laughs> I was did you see the picture I took when I was I was in London I was on the London Eye the huge Ferris wheel and in my pod was someone from Japan that had a Mighty Ducks shirt Oh, no, I didn't say that. I'm like, oh my god, I'm geeking out so badly. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're huge here, and like, they they did ton of tons of copycats of those movies. Like, there was like Little Giants with football. They had Big Green with soccer, and they were the same the same freaking movie. But whatever. Mm, yeah, yeah. There was there was a whole thing in the '90s, the early mid '90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just an idea. We should. Uh, I, I'd be open to reviewing that movie. I love it. I'm Kane. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind reviewing more cast yeah. films mm-hmm. or cast projects, other shows. Yeah, that's a good idea. So the others ask Alan Pegg uh, a question that they are sure to know. Where did they first make love? Uh-oh, uh, don't screw this up, Al. We all knew he Gee, was going to. Yeah, I wonder how to. this is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Al's remembering the wrong rumpus. Right. Where did you and Peggy first make love? Yes! We're back on the board, Peg! How could anybody forget that night? Ooh, it was so hot! We were out of control, huh, babe? I'll never forget that ping-pong table in your uncle's rumpus room. (laughs) 
does not have a ping pong table. Does he have a rumpus room? Uh-oh, like I was remembering the wrong rumpus. It was on a crate behind the tasty freeze, and it was beautiful. Uh, anyone want to play Twister? So, Stefan, what is Tasty Freeze? So, Tasty Freeze is a soft-serve ice cream franchise chain of 23 fast food restaurants. Its corporate headquarters is in Newport Beach, California, and it has stores in 12 U.S. states, with most of its freestanding stores located in Virginia, Illinois, and Maryland. The first Tasty Freeze was established in Keatsburg, Illinois, and... At least we know this is a chain with locations in Illinois. I had never heard of Tasty Freeze. Okay, so it's not that well known. No, we we don't have any in Minnesota. I've heard of it from other American TV shows. Like, I think it's been mentioned on The Simpsons. You think that confirms that The Simpsons, the Springfield, is in Illinois? (laughs) (laughs) Good. Whenever they end The Simpsons, they have to reveal where it takes, like, what state it's in. I will quickly say, um, it's, it's, it's based on a real Springfield, which is uh, in uh, Oregon, so near where Matt Graney grew up in suburban Portland. And that's where some of the character names come from, like Flanders, Terwilliga, Lovejoy, from streets where he grew up. Yeah, I heard Oregon, or Oregon, um, as the most likely Springfield state. Yeah, Matt Graney's a proud Port- Portlander. Makes sense. And then they, uh, after this awkward exchange... Al asks if anyone wants to play Twister, uh, you know, which, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you screwed it big time, Al. Ba-bow. I'm surprised you could mention Twister, because you remember in Blonde and Blonder, they play a game called Bottoms Up. And again, I don't know if that's a real game. I assumed it wasn't. But I don't think they could show a Twister map without pain. Right. That's a Milton Bradley joint. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What is yeah. Twister, Matt? Yeah, it's a game that tends to end badly anyway. I've played it before at friend's house, and it always ends with people falling on the floor. Yeah, I, I'm not a flexible person, so I've never been good at it. I played it like twice, maybe. It's funny to watch dancers play it. <laughs> they are flexible, and they usually end up, you know, one's bent over this way, one's bent over that way, or they're doing backbends over each other, and then everyone just gets the giggles and collapses anyway. Right. So, yes, I mean, Peg can't believe that Al would forget the most romantic night of their lives. It's a bit sad. I suppose if it was their first time, it's all right. And then, because afterwards they shared a Mr. Softy, and they've been sharing one ever since. <laughs> Boom, Tish. Just can't believe that you would forget the most romantic night of our lives. Well, I remember, sweetheart, and then, and then we shared a Mr. Softy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we've been sharing one ever since. And now, Mr. Softy is another ice cream chain uh, in the northeastern United States. It is based in... Runemade, Runemed, New Jersey. Uh, don't think there's any in Illinois, but it makes a joke work perfectly. Um, yeah, the only like regional chain I've heard of Aus Audis is called uh, Carmel's, I believe, and they do like blended soft serve with like fruit or candy that you get like get in a cone and it makes like swirls. It's really good. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't think we have that here. What we do have is. Wendy's, and that's interesting because I think in the, in the states, Wendy's is like more of a burger and ice cream type place. Yeah, just burgers. Yeah, it's not burgers here. It's just pure ice cream. You might get a hot dog, 
but it's you know shakes ice cream soft serve all that is it the same like wendy's logo um i don't think possibly. so I'll just check. no okay yeah because it's it's odd you know all other fast food franchises in the u.s have branched out to other countries except for wendy's i don't know why well, I mean, a lot of other countries have their own fast food chains to begin with, and uh, like, right, yeah, like we got yeah, a few in Australia. But I mean, when I was in London, I saw, I even saw Five Guys. They had one of those. Oh yeah, we don't have that either. Yeah. <laughs> no, we got Carl's Junior. We don't have Five Guys. Uh, it's since spread to other bits of the UK as well. well. Apparently, Wendy's was founded in my hometown. Wendy's Super Sundays. Mm-hmm. But it's a yeah, Australian franchise. Um, we've got Burger King, but Burger King is not called Burger King here. It's called Hungry Jacks. Mm. Uh, it's the same logo and everything, but it's not called Burger King because apparently there already was a Burger King oh. here. So, And now, of course, everyone has heard of Burger King because of American pop culture. Right. But here it's Hungry Jacks. Yeah, which fir- which first opened in Australia in my home city of uh, Perth, literally a five five minute walk from where my stepdad grew up. So he went there a fair wow. bit as a teenager, right near the drive-in cinema too. Oh, you don't have many of those anymore. No, they still got one in my city, in literally a suburb over from me, and it's still be going for fifty years next year. Wow. Hmm. So there's a callback to a, a softy way back in season two. In an impodent. Great episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's season two. You know, when Al says to Steve, you're a real stallion, what do you say? We go to the ice cream shop and get a uh, softy. Mm-hmm. That's slang just for soft serve ice cream, of course. Could be from any chain, yeah. I was just talking to my friend the other day about how much we miss uh, McDonald's soft serve cones. They were so good and cheap. You don't have them anymore. No, not. What? Maybe, maybe you can get vanilla. We used to have Twist, and that was good. I don't know what Twist is, but it's half vanilla, half chocolate, like swirl. <gasps> oh yes, we just had vanilla ones here in Australia. Yeah. Yes. That said, though, we can. Do you have McFlurries? Yes, but they're very limiting. Like okay. we, we only have Oreo, but we do have a uh, Dairy Queen. Which has a better oh, yes. a better version of a McFlurry called a Blizzard, and you can get like there's tons of different flavors you can get. Sorry, you were gonna say something, Annabelle. Oh no, no, I've I have heard of Blizzards from Dairy Queen. I was just gonna say it's interesting if you don't have the soft serve so much anymore. But nowadays at McDonald's, or as we call it, Macca's, you can get in some of your Sundays and McFlurries, you can get chocolate ice cream, chocolate soft serve as a instead of vanilla. It used to just just be all vanilla. But now they give you an option, especially if you're ordering on the app. All right, so Peg flips the table. No, she flips the game. Yes, which which brings me to what I was going to say earlier. This is very reminiscent of a 1973 episode of All in the Family, where uh, Edith, Gloria, Mike, and their neighbours, the Lorenzos, Frank and Irene, along with Lionel Jefferson, are playing a game called Group Therapy. Archie's down at Kelsey's bar, missing out on all the fun. Uh, so Mike, after being wound up in the game and being called out and things, uh, he's like, all right, fine. I don't want to play anymore. And Lich flips the board up even more epic than Peggy does here. Rage quits even more epic than Peggy does here. Right. <laughs> One of my favourites in that show, that's for sure. Uh, Luigi will definitely agree with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's right, huh? All right. 
want to play anymore. Now we get a montage. It's 5 a.m. And Kelly, that's not how you do Rocky. I love, and of course, they're they're doing the uh, unlicensed Eye of the Tiger. Of course, (laughs) yes. (laughs) It's it's not a, it's not a, yeah. It is a a a cover, a cheap cover, a very cheap cover. But it's not a sounder like like they used to do in season ten. You know, with black and white or tainted love. Right here, it's the actual. It's the song with the proper lyrics. Um, and instead of yeah, she was like trying to like. She put the, the, the uncracked eggs in the glass. <laughs> Instead of this time, she's not separating the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She almost downed a whole one. <laughs> it reminded me of um, the uh, the South Park where Randy kept getting in trouble at the, yes. the, um, the Little League games where he like cracks the eggs, puts them in a the glass, like walks over and pours them into the right, pan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, was, I was about to mention that, Stefan, because I actually saw that episode before I saw any of the Rocky films. So uh, that, epi- that reference was lost to me when I first saw it. And I've seen all of the Rocky films because a uh, good friend of mine, Chris, is a huge, huge Rocky fan. So we've seen all of them. I think I've only seen the first one, but I was watching Entertainment Tonight um, about an hour before we jumped on, and Sylvester Stallone's wife has just filed for divorce, and apparently he's uh, he's got a tattoo of her face that he has now replaced with the face of the dog from Rocky. <laughs> like, wow. <Whoa. laughs> Never do spouse, spouse tattoos. It's the kiss of death. Mm. Nope. I, I would only... I would only ever tattoo someone's name on my body if, like, they died. I mean, I have no tattoos as of yet. I mean, partly because I think John Rotten is the next 60 years. But uh, if I was to get a tattoo, I'd probably get one of, say, a kid's name or maybe one of my late besties' name, Rob. Uh, But, yeah, that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not into tats. I can admire them, but it's not for me. So, yeah, um, there's a montage sequence with the, the cheap version of Eye of the Tiger. So, and it's Bud, Herp, and Kelly again, which is nice. But he's probably getting money. Of course, he gets he gets what ninety percent, and she gets ten. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like it was at least eighty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do your job and get your eighty percent. Eighty percent. And there's one scene where uh, <laughs> Kelly's jumping rope, and then Bud earns yet more money by <laughs> getting some yeah. ten year ten year old boys to skip rope with her. <laughs> So wrong, so yeah, wrong. Yeah, so wrong indeed. And then when um she's punching what appears to be Isis with Heather's face um on top of her. Mm-hmm. Bud looks very concerned about Isis's well-being. Right, <laughs> Isis. Come on, Bundy, that's all you got. You hit like a girl. Yeah, well, you pee like one. <laughs> that was a temporary medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> And then Al comes in uh, from the doghouse, the literal doghouse. Literally. Yeah. In the doghouse. Eating Lucky's snossages. Yeah, that's something else we don't have here, and that's something I know from, well, from shows like this, American television. I don't know anyone who feeds their dogs them anymore. My parents certainly don't feed them to their dogs. So they're like weenie tots for dogs, right? Basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why Al likes them. 
That's a good point. Yeah, I never thought of that. But and plus, he's that he's that desperate for food. He basically eats anything. Mm-hmm. So apparently, the doghouse that Al built with Carlos last season is still standing. If he can live in it. Oh yeah. Right. With its disabled access. Let me teach you the famous Bundy combo. Now, you stomp on your opponent's foot. You hit him with an uppercut. You mean like this? Oh. Yeah, girl. <laughs> the next time, so wait into it. Okay, but get wait. playing around. <laughs> I think I got it. I think I got it. Oh, that was fun, Daddy. Thank you. What's in the box? Oh, it's a present for your mom. We had a big fight. I'm in the doghouse. Oh, Daddy, that's terrible. Where'd Lucky sleep? The sugar ray tard. Figure speech. No, I actually was in the doghouse. And just before, we had a reference from Bud about Sugar Ray Leonard, who, of course, was in Married with Children back in season six. Al first teaches Kelly the Bundy combo. That's right. The famous Bundy combo that we've never heard of until now. Yes, which, which <laughs> we only hear until in season 11. But the Bundy combo happens to be you stomp on the foot and then bang of an uppercut. Yeah, as she demonstrates. About to say, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been hit with half a Bundy combo, but yeah, that was bad enough. I mean, it's not a, an episode, especially in season 11, if Bud doesn't get tortured, as he will later on in the season. Oh, yeah. Right. But Al did also, also came in with a present, and it's a peg. Mm-hmm. But it's not a... It's a dress, but not peg size. No. Yeah, Al, it's way too big for Peggy. Come on, Al. Uh, yeah, you're definitely um, shooting yourself in the foot here. Hey! I got you something. Oh, Al. Now, I hope you like it. See, it matches the couch. <laughs> you actually thought that this would fit me? Yes. No. <laughs> well, maybe. Whatever the right answer is. Doesn't know things like this. Jefferson knows Marcy's dress size. That's because Jefferson wears them. Yeah. Should give it to one of the women, women that come into Gary's shoes. Yeah, and they probably get probably get smacked by, probably get um, oh, tortured in the shoe store. <laughs> Rightly so. Right. Mm. Uh, men are hopeless when it comes to dress sizes. <laughs> dress sizes are weird. <laughs> it's like I don't get it. Yeah, and they're different in American and Australian sizes are different. Yeah. And and then don't even get me started about bra sizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Al's, you know, uh, when he said, you actually thought this would fit me, and Al says, yes, no, the quick cover, I like that. Whatever the right answer is. <laughs> Whatever the right answer is. <laughs> He's just digging his grave more and more. Right. Uh, Jefferson knows Marcy's dress size. <laughs> of course he does, according to this episode. Because he, try- mm-hmm. he tries them on. <laughs> <laughs> he does. I was I was reminded of um, the wedding repercussions and back in late season seven, when Marcy says, "I'm not going to let you into these pants again. I'm serious. I'm not going to let you wear these pants. Right? Like they're the same size or whatever." So Al's actually trying here as much as Al can try. He says, "What else can I do? I'll take you to the movies." And he said that the great escape is playing at the Bijou. Al, you stink. Well, Peg, I can't help that. It's because of the snossages. <laughs> well, what else can I do? I know. I take you to the movies. The Great Escape's playing at the Bijou. No, thank you. I'd rather be alone. Gee, for 25 years I've dreamed of this moment. How come I'm not happy? Oh, yes. Now and we're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Do you want to tell us about The Great Escape? Oh, don't mind if I do. So, The Great Escape is a 1963 American epic war film starring Steve McQueen, James Garner and Richard Attenborough, featuring James Donald, Charles Bronson, Donald Pleasance, James Coburn and Hans Messimer. Filmed in Panavision, it was based on Paul Brickhill's 1950 non-fiction book of the same name, a first-hand account of the mass escape by, of, by British Commonwealth prisoners of war from the German prisoner of war camp Stalag Lust III in Sagan, now Jagan in Poland, in the province of Lower Silesia, Nazi Germany, so uh, now uh, so, okay, somewhere in Western Poland, I'm presuming. Uh, the film was b b based on real events, but deviated significantly from the historical record, depicting a heavily fictionalized version of the escape, including numerous kind of compromises, such as featuring Americans among the escapees, in order to boost its commercial appeal, especially in the USA. I watched it many moons ago when I was, uh, I think, in my early 20s, and yes, definitely enjoyed enjoy the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's a great film with a great cast. Um, it's worth noting about, uh, and this um, lines up with something I'll mention later, but in the table draft script that I mentioned before, there's an exchange earlier on when they're playing the game. Originally, when Al is asked what Peggy's favourite movie is, and Al says, The Great Escape, and Peg says, no, that's your favourite movie. So it's not mentioned in that scene, but now he has mentioned The Great Escape here, so that's a holdover. So not only does Peg not want to see The Great Escape, but it's an added bonus, well not a bonus, because that's Al's favourite movie. He doesn't even know what Peg's favourite movie is. Right. And there's, of course, the episode title in, in Season 2, again, that has the episode 18, is called The Great Escape. Where they're spending the night at the shoe store and Kelly tries to sneak out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I mean, every, most people know the theme music and it's been parodied in other shows as well. Like, there's an episode of The Simpsons that comes to mind where Maggie breaks out of a daycare. Yes, I love that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. That whole episode is filled with movie references. The Great Escape being a big one. Do, 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 do. So for 25 years, Al has dreamed of being alone. But how come he's not happy? Yeah, it's hit him like a ton of bricks, because um, deep down he obviously cares about Peg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then um, then at this point, uh, Marcy and Jefferson walk in, and it's revealed that they are continuing from the previous episode, the Jugs have left the building. They are role-playing as Al and Peg. Mm. Uh, they play the fullback and the tramp. <laughs> now, I always... Marcy... Marcy and Peg, in some episodes, they're best, they seem to be best friends. And sometimes Marcy just, you know, she groups Peg with Al as being like trash. Mm, the, co the collective Bundys, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of odd in that regard. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're sort of being friendly. I mean, it's Al and Jefferson and Peg and Marcy mm -hmm. in their respective angles, right. scenes. Um, but yeah, they still <laughs> Marcy and Jefferson still live together. So I guess when there's their normal sex life that they're rushing home to have, that that takes priority. Right. So yeah, role playing as Alan Pegg seems to work for them. It does. It does. So that's two pieces of continuity in this episode. Wow. After all these seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they went all out for the two hundred and fiftieth. So yeah, they before they leave, they suggest that Alan Pegg go to counselling. Listen, have you thought about seeing someone? Well, I have had my eye on the UPS guy. 
No, I mean you and Al should see a marriage counselor. Yeah, but then wouldn't I have to tell him about the UPS guy? <laughs> Trust me. Going to counseling will open Al up. Trust me. Going to counseling will shut Peg up. <laughs> Come on, Jefferson. Let's go home and leave these two alone to talk or grunt, whichever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And then in a, a pretty comedic exchange. Where, and, and sitcoms do this where, like, the two people talk with another person separately, you know, and they're clearly with an ear distance. You know, they can hear them. They could hear them, but they don't. It's just it's a it's a tired sitcom Convenient. trope. Yeah. 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 I just accept it at this point, you know. Yeah. Or you know, when someone leaves a room and somebody enters the same room through the same door a second later, it's like, how did you not pass each other in right. the hall? <laughs> or my favorite is like where they're watching TV, something convenient comes on, and then they start talking, and the TV like the volume's turned off. Yeah. Without pressing mute. Yeah. Just one of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Peg wants to go to the marriage counselor. Al's not so keen. He said, well, if you knew me, Peg, you know that there are certain things I do not do. Yeah, he doesn't floss. He doesn't eat vegetables. I've seen you eat chips for Al. That's a lie. Uh, mm. He doesn't like French pastry. You're missing out, Al. There's some really nice ones. And as you know, he doesn't like the French. And the only film he cried while watching was Old Yeller because he knows it was very sad. Now, Old Yeller... 1956 children's novel, written by Fred Gibson and illustrated by Carl Berger, received a Newbery honor in 1957. Uh, the title was taken from the name of the yellow dog, who's the center of the book's story. So uh, it doesn't doesn't say in the notes when it was adapted into a film, but uh, yeah, m- must have been a childhood book, book favorite of his as well. We need to talk. <laughs> Honey, I want to go to a marriage counselor. So go. <laughs> Why won't you go to therapy? Maybe it's you who don't know me. Because if you knew me, Peg, you'd know that there are certain things I do not do. I do not floss. I do not eat vegetables. I do not like French pastry. I do not like the French. I do not cry at movies. Except, of course, Old Yeller, because we know it was very sad. But most importantly, Peg... I will never, ever, under any circumstances, go to a head shrinker. But, Al... You go, Peg! It was really... And Old Yeller was really popular with the the baby boomer generation, which is what Al and Peg were supposed to be a part of. So it's very understandable. I have never seen it, and I don't really want to, because I know it'll be sad. That's the same reason I haven't seen it, because I don't particularly want to, especially if it's sad. Although after seeing... After watching Hachi... I don't think any movie will make me cry more than that. More than what? Hachi. You ever heard of that movie? Oh, it's with Richard Gere. Um, It's like the Futurama episode, Jurassic Bark. (gasps) It's like that as a movie. Yeah. Oh, that's it. That's it. I'm not watching that. Yep. I was, I was, I watched that movie alone. I was like violently crying the last half hour, like bawling. It's so sad. Yeah. By the way, Al's a big fat liar because he says that the only movie he has cried at is Old Yeller. We have literally seen him cry at movies before. Yeah. <laughs> Shenandoah, anyone? Mm-hmm. Right. But but Peg, Peg knows how to get Al to go to therapy. Yep. And as soon as she picked up the phone, I don't know about you two, I knew who she was going to call. 
I think I could guess, but also I did see most of season 11. Well, season 11 was fresher in my mind because I saw it first time it aired because it aired a bit later. It aired in 1998, mm. at least here. And it had been a while since I'd seen season 10, so I'd probably forgotten that their that Peg's mother had stayed with them. So I don't think I guessed straight away on first mm. viewing, but I knew it'd be something like that. Yeah. That it, clearly a reference. And then I said, like, oh, right, that's right. Her mother lived with them for a bit. Hmm. Season 10 and season 11, I mean, for a lot of reasons, they feel so different to me in a lot of respects. Part of the reason is I saw season 11 a lot later. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I first saw it myself uh, 2008, not long after season 10, so because I watched the whole series first time, uh, 07, 08, as, uh, as some listeners would rem- remember. So uh, I do recall by that point, I thought, oh, this isn't as good as the previous ones, but I still made it through to the very end. <laughs> the bitter end. And funny enough, while we're getting into that, I remember, so I, um, I really watched this show when it was on syndication on FX and Fox after it had ended, starting about like 2000 or so. And this scene that we're getting into now with Kelly in the boxing match, this is one of the first scenes I remember watching it in syndication. Oh, cool. My mom, my mom was watching it. She loved, she loved the show too. That's good. My mom's seen all the episodes. Mm hmm. She'd be older than your mum, but still, it's nice when your parents like your shit. <laughs> yeah, both my parents, they watched it back in the day when it was first on. I don't think they've seen every single episode. And they've watched a few with me as I, as I've watched, when I watched it. I watched it mainly by myself, though. But, uh, yes, and uh, I feel, a few of my friends have seen all the episodes, but most of my friends know Mary the Children as that show Matt likes. <laughs> well, thank you for introducing them to it. Uh, yes, yes, a lot of them know what it is because of me. Good. Doing your part for the Perth community. Like I said before, I mean, one of my oldest friends, I've known her since uh, we were 14, uh, she knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say Chicago and Fountain. She, even, she's not even a fan of the show herself. Well, she doesn't dislike her, but she's not exactly a regular viewer. I've actually, I've, I've been to that fountain. Nice. In person. Oh, that's on my bucket list. Same here. If, if you two ever make it to here, I mean, it's, you know, it's an easy... Um, it's uh, an easy train ride to Chicago. I mean, there are, you know, easy flight. Yeah, you know, come to Minneapolis too, or I can come to you. Cool. Like, yeah. I said, okay. like I said before, when I get to the US, I probably base my visit around podcast friends and uh, TV landmarks like the Buckingham Fountain, Archie Bunker's house, the Cheers bar, and so on. Yeah. I'm, um, I'll admit, if I, if I go to Australia, Ryan, Ryan went to Australia a long time ago, and, uh, in college and he was in Sydney. So we probably would go there. Um, I don't know if we'd make it to Adelaide or Perth. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little scared to venture into the outback. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't blame you. I mean, if, if you go in the real outback, like really remote, you've got to have a radio with you. You've got to make sure you're prepared with supplies. So Yeah, you, you like prepare. You don't just drive. No, no, no. I mean, I've never been to the Outback proper myself. The most remote I've been to is a few coastal towns. Uh, I mean, one of my friends way up in the north of my state has said I should come visit us sometime, but even that's not that remote. Mm. I think Chris is coming to Sydney again soon. He is, next month in September. He's never he's never come to the to Minneapolis in the time I've known him. Because if he does, yeah, we were going to get together at the Mall of America, which is right by the airport. Um 
Yeah, I uh you you've heard of the movie Wolf Creek, I assume. Yes. Yeah, yes. that that to me like how Jaws <laughs> did it with the ocean for me, that was did it for the outback for me. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, that did it for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, there are movies like that that take place in the U.S. too, but I mean, there there are parts of the U.S. that are pretty remote and desolate, but nothing like the outback. Yeah. Yes, I mean, one day I might drive to Sienna Belt over the Nullarbor Plain. That's a very outback drive, and even that isn't the most remote of drives. How long of a drive would it be between you two? Oh, blime. It's definitely a three-day drive at minimum, Stefan. And that's assuming you just um, drive during all the daylight hours and just take minimal rest stops. So, ideally, it would take like a decent week at least to drive between Perth and Adelaide. Well, if we come to Sydney, um, you can hop a plane and come see us. Yeah, I'll come over. I'll come to Sydney. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to come, I'd meet up with you and Ryan, meet my other friends in Sydney, one of whom is also a fellow Married to Children fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, Ryan has a cousin and that lives in Australia, so we might eventually go if like they get married. Where, where, whereabouts does Ryan's cousin live? Around either in Sydney or around Sydney. Cool. I've driven to Sydney. It took two days, two mm. fairly long days, but with one break, one overnight break, so it's doable. Because we, yeah, like I, I took a lot of road trips growing up, and we would go out to the western u.s we would go to like yellowstone national park in wyoming or colorado and that was about yeah probably two days which i feel i don't know distance wise i mean the u.s we we have a decent highway system you know the infrastructure has been crumbling our highways are generally okay you know our our public public transit our trains are a joke that was one thing when I was told. When you go to London, you will realize how shitty public transit is in the U.S. when you come back, and it is true. Perth is decent enough. I mean, nothing like, say, London's, but Perth's a lot smaller of a city. So we get to the Kelly warming up. Um, she will float like a horse fly, sting like a flea. <laughs> she's all yours, Kelly. And hopefully after you beat her brains to mush, she's all mine. Float like a horse fly. Sting like a flea. No one can touch me. I'm Kelly. <laughs> that movie roll is mine. You're going down, street meat. Let's rock. No one can touch me. I'm Kelly. <laughs> she thinks she's Muhammad Kelly. <laughs> of course, based off of Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, R.I.P. The goat. Yep. So the match starts. They start, you know... Uh, Heather starts really beating the crap out of her. Mm. Looks like she's going to win. And they start, you know, insulting and trading insults. And she says, you, uh, you fight as bad as you act. And then Kelly says, you fight as bad as Brooke Shields acts. <laughs> mm. So Brooke Shields, born on May 31st, 1965, is an American actress and model. She was initially a child model and gained critical acclaim at age 12 for her leading role in her leading role in Lewis Mail's film Pretty Baby, in which she played a pro- child prostitute in New Orleans at the beginning of the 20th century. Have either of you two seen that movie? No. no. I knew about it. Yeah, she has she has a nude scene, which obviously, you know, was a lot of people deemed it like child pornography. Mm. Yep. And uh Shields garnered widespread notoriety in the role and she continued to model into her late teenage years and starred in several dramas in the nineteen eighties, including The Blue Lagoon and Franco Zeffrelli's Endless Love, both of which also had nudity. Um 
and had, you know, allegations of child pornography. So she was in some controversial stuff. In 1983, Shields suspended her career as a model to attend Princeton University, where she graduated with a bachelor's degree in romance languages. In the 1990s, Shields returned to acting and appeared in minor roles in films. She also starred in the NBC sitcom Suddenly Susan, for which she received two Golden Globe nominations and Lipstick Jungle. In 2017, Shields returned to NBC with a major recurring role in Law & Order Special Victims Unit on the show's 19th season. Since 2014, Shields has voiced Beverly Goodman in the Adult Swim animated series Mr. Pickles and its spinoff Mama Named Me Sheriff. I remember suddenly Susan, and it wasn't that great. <laughs> I wasn't a fan. The, the, the saving grace of that was Kathy Griffin, from what oh, I saw. Yeah. If you want to see something funny, you can find it on YouTube. Look up uh, where Kathy Griffin talks about her experiences at Brooke Shields' wedding. Oh, okay. It's, right. <laughs> it's so funny. It's it's hysterical. Like she, so Brooke Shields' mom Terry was one of those like 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 stage moms, you know that like tried to live her failed career through her daughter, and she talked about just how the mom was just a drunken mess at the wedding, <laughs> and they they don't you don't mention in the bio. She had a really small role in it, and I just rewatched this movie a couple weeks ago because it was newly on Shudder. Um, have you, you two seen, seen or heard of the movie Freeway? Mm, no. Doesn't ring a bell, Don't no. It has uh, Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland. It's from, like, 96. It's like a modern kind of trailer trash version of Little Red Riding Hood. Ah, yeah, here we are. 1996 film, black comedy crime film. Here we are. Yeah. It's it's really good. It's it's a really really lurid kind of like if you see Natural Born Killers. It's kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon, her, one of my like just to see her in this role is just wonderful. When she was like about twenty, and she says to a guy, "I get claustrophobic sucking strange dick." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is this right after she did Fear or before? Uh. About the same time. Yeah. Yeah. 96. Yeah. I mentioned Fear because there's a Married to Children reference in Fear, like the, the security guard is watching Married to Children on TV. Yeah, so I haven't seen Freeway. I don't think I knew that one. It's, I, I, I didn't know it till an ex of mine had it like on DVD, and I had never heard of it. So, And the sequel with Natasha Leone, unreal. well, the sequel is, is kind of a trashy version of, of uh, Hansel and Gretel. And it's right. it's even trashier than the first, if you can imagine that oh. after watching it. It's it's raunchy. Brooke Shields also had that Calvin was it guest jeans? No, Calvin Klein yeah. campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing comes between me and my Calvins. When she was like she's 15. still pretty young. Yeah, she was like fourteen yeah. and you know, they she kinda she pushed the boundaries. She did. But this is around the time of suddenly Susan, so I think there's a shot of her in that show. <laughs> yes. So yeah, but Kelly and Heather keep fighting. By the way, you notice they're fighting in a place called Jim's. Gym. I noticed that. Yes, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Which of course <laughs> reminds me of the Jim's franchise. Yep, there's a reference. So I mean, Kelly is obviously going to win this fight. Right? Yeah, of course. And she does. And then apparently the movie is called Catfight, and the star of Catfight, the movie, is the blonde bomber Kelly Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> The Blonde Bomber, Kelly Bundy! I'm going to be a movie star! I can't wait to see my 
And that's a reference to the Brown Bomber. Oh, yeah. Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis, who was born on the 13th of May, 1914, and passed away on the 12th of April, 1981, he was an American... April 12th? Yes. He passed away on he passed away on Ed O'Neill's 35th birthday. Uh, well, he was an American professional boxer. He competed from 1934 to 1951, reigned as World Heavyweight Championship champion between 1937 and 1949, and considered to be one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time, nicknamed the Brown Bomber. Lewis's championship reign lasted 140 consecutive months, which participated in 26 championship fights. The 27th fight against Ezra Charles in 1950 was a challenge for Charles' heavyweight title, and so is not included in Lewis's reign. He was victorious in 25 consecutive title defences. In 2005, ranked as the best heavyweight of all time by the International Boxing Research Organization and ranked number one of the Ring Magazine's list of 100 greatest punches of all time. Lewis had the longest single reign as champion of any heavyweight box in history. Wow, that's quite a feat. Pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely someone Al's dad probably was a fan of. Yeah, between drinking screwdrivers. Yes! And... <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently this episode was taped on January 17th, 1997, and it aired February 24th at 9.30 p.m., not 9 o'clock. It's February 24th. What day of the week was that? Uh, let me just check that. Let's go back to 1997 when I was just a little boy in year one and no idea what Married Children even was. That was a Monday a night. Tucker. Monday night. So it, Monday, yes. It was on Monday. I was then. definitely in bed by the time I came on back in 1997. Well, like I said, they held off on season 11 until the year after. They did go all out. They showed it on Saturday nights here. It was like Married Children... And Family Matters. <laughs> Interesting pair up. Yeah. So, yeah, February 24th, 1997 was on Monday. So the show was on Monday night. So that's another sign that your show is running out of steam. If they cut off your credits a bit and start moving around your time slot. Sometimes they can move you around for a good reason that they want other shows to leech off you. But if you're the show that's being moved around a lot, yeah, it's pretty inevitable that you're going to be cancelled soon. Yeah. Unfortunately. So the very last shot of this B plot in this episode is Kelly about to see her face on the big screen. Cut to her tooth. Some Mesnab knocked out. Mm. Ooh. Yes. Uh... So now we come to the final scene of part one. Yes, at Dr. Longo's. I can tell right away this counts an idiot pig. <laughs> Why couldn't we have gone to that guy I saw on TV? Al, I am not going to a drive through marriage counselor. <laughs> Doctor back in the sack looked quite nurturing, Peg. And they wash your car after every session. Hi. You must be the Bundys. I'm Dr. Longo. Please, won't you sit down? Ah. So, how are you today? Those trick questions won't work on me, Doc. <laughs> you can probe around in my head all you want. You're going to find anything in there. I believe you. Uh... But the whole point of therapy is to discuss our problems. Oh, no, we're not going to talk about me. Well, I'm not the one with a problem. Dr. Longo is played by an actor named Jake Johansson, or Johansson. Um, he seems to be a, a, an actor and writer and comedian, and I swear I've seen him in something. We'll probably have. He's one of those char- probably one of those character actors that you see in like various sort of things. Uh, yeah, it's one of those people. Mm-hmm. It says on Wikipedia that he was originally thought of for the role of George Costanza in Seinfeld. Hmm. Hmm. That's a pretty big call. Yeah. 
He was on David Letterman's show a lot. Maybe that's where I saw him. Anyway, he plays his youngish um, marriage counsellor. In this, in the original script I've mentioned, it's it says that he was sort of more, he was even younger, like more of a Doogie Howser type. Oh really? Oh really? Hmm. Hmm. But they, I think they went with someone slightly older. So instead of calling him a, a young guy or whatever, they make him, they give him a vinyl fetish. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, vinyl pants or plastic pants, whatever. Yeah. But Alan Peck, they enter the 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 counselor's office. Well. Arm and arm, pretty much. I think that's just set up how they leave. Yes, I mean this scene reminds me of, of an early episode, early episode of The Simpsons. Actually, this um, character counselling scene where it's very one-sided it reminds me of the season two episode, The War of the Simpsons, where Homer doesn't have much to say about Marge, but Marge is plenty to say about Homer. Marge is going to tell us all your faults. Why don't you tell us about hers? Oh, she's perfect. Come on, Homer. What are her faults? Well, sometimes it can be annoying. Homer. Now, Marge, don't interrupt. You'll get your turn. I'm done. Okay. Marge? Well, it's not that I don't love the guy. I'm always sticking up for him. It's just that he's so self-centered. <gasps> Wait! Oh! Now, Homer. He forgets birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, both religious and secular. He chews with his mouth open. He gambles. He hangs out at a seedy bar with bums and lowlifes. <laughs> it's true. It's all true. Homer, don't interrupt. <laughs> Sorry. He blows his nose on the towels and puts them back in the middle. I only did that a couple of times. He never changes the baby <sighs> when he goes to sleep. He makes chewing noises, and when he wakes up, he makes honking noises. Oh, oh, and he scratches himself with his keys. I guess that's it. Oh, no, wait, he kicks me in his sleep, and his toenails are too long and yellow. That's all I can think of right now. I guess you're all tired, and I want to thank you for letting me get some things off my chest. Oh, I remember that episode. Yeah. And we get uh, Al saying, I should be retired right now, selling my autograph on QVC and addicted to the finest painkillers money can buy. <laughs> it's like, it's like Al always says so confidently could have made it in the pros. It's like, there's a lot of other, you know, the bottom line is not one in a thousand high school athletes can make a career out of it. But yeah, agreed. Because uh, I went to um, high school with uh, a now recently retired um, Australian footballer, and I can tell you, uh, it took a lot of hard work for him to get um, from playing junior football as a um, like a primary school age boy to being in a professional team here in Perth. Uh, so yeah, not too many make it. I mean, my old high school actually has a football academy, and uh, he's a he's a one. He he was also one of the he was also not just a star footballer but he was also great um, behind the books as well so he's doing pretty well for himself uh, so yeah Mark Hutchings if you're listening this is for you so if Al's should be retired right now selling his autograph on QVC and addicted to the finest painkillers money can buy other than the obvious <laughs> what would be your main complaint about your wife no I don't have any complaints about pick well maybe just one tiny little thing oh great. Now we're going to hear about how if he hadn't gotten married, he would have been a pro football player. Well, that's true. I should be retired right now, selling my autograph on QVC and addicted to the finest painkillers money can buy. <laughs> I gave up a lot, too, you know. I know. Down at the docks. It's a reference to a lot of athletes, I'm sure, but is this a, an overt reference to Joe Namath? I'll take your word for it. Well, I'll take Luigi's word for it, mm -hmm. but it, it seems to work because he was in the show <laughs> in season eight and dances with Luigi. So sure, why not? Um, but Peck could have been something too. Mm. 
<laughs> she gave up a lot too. Down at the docks. A mafia wife. <laughs> <laughs> My mafia wife needs a cook. <laughs> Matt, you remember when we were chatting with Chris Nonus in the Wrecking for a Chevyweight two-parter and he could picture Peggy as a mafia wife? Yes. <laughs> and it's just interesting he mentioned that and here she says she could have been a mafia wife except for the fact that She'd have to cook. Yeah. You think the, five, the head of the five families are going to be sitting around tasting her tuna surprise? Mm-hmm. Uh, they no. don't like surprises, Peg. No. Yeah, Peggy wouldn't last long with the five families, that's for sure. Mm. No. So the five families are the five major New York City organized crime families of the Italian-American mafia, formed in 1931 by Salvatore... Maranzano, following his victory in the <laughs> Castellamarese War. <laughs> I read it as Dan Castellaneta. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Maranzano organize, reorganized the Italian-American gangs in New York City into the Maranzano, Profaci, Mangano, Luciano, and Galliano's families, which are now known as the Bonanno, <laughs> I'm mispronouncing these, I apologize, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and Lucchese families. <laughs> Each family had a demarcated territory, an organizationally structured hierarchy, and having each family report up to the same overarching governing entity. And initially, the Maranzano intended each intended each family's boss to report to him as the capo di tutti i capi, <laughs> boss of all bosses. Sorry, Luigi, for my Italian. However, this led to the assassination to his assassination that September, and the role was replaced by the Commission, a ruling committee to oversee all mafia activities in the United States and serve to mediate conflicts between families, consisting of the bosses of the five families, as well as the bosses of the Chicago outfit and the Buffalo crime family. And they don't like surprises. You know, uh, you know what someone else doesn't like? Uh, Al doesn't like spending half a day's pay on um, nothing jobs talking about plastic pants. You know, I'm wearing a vinyl surprise right now. And, uh, it feels great. You happy now, Peg? We just wasted 15 bucks. That's half a day's wage to listen to this nut job talk about his plastic pants. Excuse me, they're vinyl. Shut up! Half a day's wage, so he, if he, Al gets 30 bucks a day. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it make I mean minimum because minimum wage was what like three is it was a three twenty five back then. We we've discussed this I know on the podcast before. I think we have. Um, I'm not sure what minimum wage was, but I think Al got below minimum wage, didn't he? Yeah. Sure. Well, thirty thirty yeah. bucks if you work eight hours is like three three seventy five an hour. Yes. So that's if he worked. An eight-hour day. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't think Al pays any taxes, so it's probably all. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> the whole the, the the vinyl joke with the guy, it's like, I mean, yeah, I brought my notes, do you mean records? <laughs> Today, because, hey, vinyl, vinyls had such a comeback now. It has. Which has, which has always baffled me. I don't think I don't think it sounds any better. I mean, it looks cool, but that's about it. Yeah, I think they, they sort of are cool. I mean, some people do say they're, of sound quality is superior, but maybe I, I don't. I don't hear it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't spend lash out and spend money in vinyl unless it was an album I really, really loved. I mean, 
obviously the album artwork is a lot big, bigger in a vinyl too. Yeah, and they're so expensive now. Tell me about it. I mean, uh, got nothing to spend my, I got enough things to spend my money on, and I'm single with no children. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but the, after one of the doctors exchanges about vinyls, there is a great reaction shot of Alan Pegg just staring at him, and I like a good reaction shot. <laughs> yes. So, we come to the, the climax of this episode. Mm-hmm. Now, Al says, I don't know why I even put up with you. And Peg says, well, if I'm so difficult to put up with, why don't you just leave? And then she starts quoting another famous song. Namely, I Will, I Will Survive, a um, purse performed by American singer Gloria Gaynor, released in October of 1978, written by Freddie Perrin and Didina Ficaris. Uh, describes the narrator's discovery of personal strength following an initially devastating breakup. So, massive hit in uh, 79 here, I think, in Australia. If I'm so difficult to put up with, why don't you just leave? Well, maybe I will. So go. Walk out that door. Turn around now. You're not welcome anymore. (laughs) I will survive. This is great. It sure is. I'm moving out, Peg. And much like that empty promise to shave those shoulders, I'll believe it when I see it. You'll be wishing you had these shaggy shoulders to cry on, Peg. Uh, same time next week? Just broke up. And, um, it, uh, it since has become a big gay anthem. Mm. Sure has. Oh, yeah, so hugely popular. Yeah. But I I have mentioned a a first draft or a table draft of this script, and I mentioned a bit about some background to this episode. So the script is available online on my site. It's worth a read, but the main thing to note is this is a much more serious draft. Yeah. And the script was ultimately deemed unsuitable. So for those who have not read it, the earlier drafts of the script featured... Al instigating the breakup of the marriage after Peggy admits that she lied about being pregnant to make Al commit to marrying her, which does make it more serious. Like it's just a darker, yeah. It's just it makes their story much more tragic and darker. I mean, you guys have read it. I read it, and uh, I'm glad they didn't make the episode like that because, I mean, obviously drama and uh, d- darker comedy and dramedy works for some things, but personally, I think it would have been a little bit too dark for married to children. That's more all in the family territory, that sort of writing. And I would, I would agree. And I thought, I thought the ending was kind of somber enough as is. It's one of the few times where the, um, the. Uh, the stamp credits come on and there's no applause. Yeah. I think the only other time of that was the, the England show, the end of part one where that happened or it, it, no, it happened. It happened. Uh, the unnatural happened then too. It did. It's rare, it did. but it's very rare on married with children. Yeah, it is. It is very rare because they're usually all about the laughs, but it does give that ending a little bit more weight and it is somber enough as it is, as you say. So I'm glad they didn't go down this original route, but I'm not entirely pleased with it. I'll say this in my review, but I, I don't like the idea of Alan Pegg breaking up in the first place. So anything they do was going to perhaps not sit well, mm-hmm. but I'm glad they didn't go the original idea. Al has left. He hasn't shaved his shoulders. 
and then Peggy leaves separately. So they arrived arm in arm, but they leave separately. And Peg confirms we just broke up. Yeah. Oh, I want to say, you know, Al, Al playing with the figurines is so funny in the therapist's office because that's something I, I do. I would do all the time in, ther- in therapist's office. And they say that's what they're for. They're there to get people to calm yeah. down. Yes, but it, it did <laughs> give Dr. Longo the opportunity to tell Peg, can I have my balls back? <laughs> Welcome to my world, which is something they said a lot this season, or unless it just feels that way. No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, so, Stefan, how many Mr. Softies are you going to share with this podcast? I'm going to share for this one, um, I'm going to share two and a half Mr. Softies. Um, I thought the episode, I mean, first of all, the A and B plots were completely independent. They did not intersect. Um... Bud and Kelly didn't have any and even have any scenes with Alan Pegg. Uh, so a major, major down point there. Yeah. And just, I, I, I don't know, just a lot of this, you know, a lot of the humor felt kind of out of place. It did. It did have, you know, some good one liners as the show always does. I think uh, for the side characters being in it a decent amount, they didn't have a lot to do by side characters. I mean, Griff, Griffin, Not Martin um, Jefferson. yeah, I, I would, I would call them co-star, almost co- well, uh, close to co-stars, I guess. Side, yeah, two and a half, maybe three. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, how about you yeah. two? Well, Matt, how many Mister Softies from the Tasty Freeze are you going to share with this episode? I'll give this one three Mr. Softies from the Tasty Freeze. <laughs> so, uh, for similar reasons to Stefan, uh, I will say that, uh, obviously, you know, no scenes with the parents and the kids together. Obviously, Jefferson's being out of character with knowing everything about Marcy all of a sudden. Uh, I think I put that partly down to how many different writers um, season 11 had between episodes. Uh, if you look at the, ep- um, if you're just looking, looking at the episode list for season 11, and season 1 had different writers to 2 and 3. Two and three were both written by Russell Marcus, so uh, yeah. So I'm not sure that how much that that put a kink kink in the spanner in the work, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, the, the, the whole Ke- Kelly fighting could have easily been a separate episode. I think they would have worked well as a separate episode. Uh, I will say I'm glad um, they didn't do the draft, didn't film the draft, because I think they would have made the episode even worse, in my opinion, for what I just mentioned earlier about how uh, that's. Um, that's not really that. That would have not have been married to children's tone. It would have been a bit too dark for married to children. And uh, 
Well, obviously, I was only six when this first aired in the US, seven here, so I can't speak for how people would have reacted when this was first aired, but I can imagine an older version of myself watching this first run and thinking, being rather depressed at the end of it, so uh, I'll give this a three, uh, but yeah, that's as, that's as high as I can give this episode. Still some good moments, especially Peggy Rage quitting the um, board game, but... Uh, and also the marriage council scene was pretty pretty decent, but I will say, yeah, that's all I can give it is a, is a three, three, um, Mr. Softies. Okay, very good. I think that's fair because, <laughs> interestingly enough, I, in regards to sharing Mr. Softies from the Tasty Freeze with this episode, I'm sort of somewhere in the middle of the two of you. So I, I started at two and a half, but I might go to a three because of the original idea and them abandoning it and going with what they did go with. But that being said, I don't like the idea of Alan Peck separating or breaking up in any way. I think despite how they, despite the show and like how they've acted in this entire series for them to break up goes against the spirit of the show for me. And I feel like that's going to happen in any season. It's going to be season 11. So I run with it. That being said, though, I agree with Stefan and how he said at the top of the show that this would have been a very good finale for the show, for the season. Um, when they patch, I mean, we know they're going to get back together. It's It's not a spoiler. That's going to happen. But it's an interesting concept that they would do a three-parter like this. They did a a part one and part two together. It was the 250th episode, so maybe they wanted to do something grand. Um, I don't hate it. And there's a couple of good bits here and there. I did like the counselor scene because he had some good lines. <laughs> Peg seems very angry in this episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because her marriage is failing, but throughout the whole episode, even before it's it started. Not necessarily a deterrent, but it's it's an observation. Um, the the Kelly B plot is it's enjoyable for what it is. The two episode plots have nothing to do with each other, and they barely cross over, like mm-hmm. barely, barely. It's just not worth it. Oh yeah, the, I, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, Kelly, the, Kelly and Bud do have scenes with Alan, but yeah, but, but like you said, barely, you see, and that's, that's how forgettable they were. Exactly. It yeah. feels like they didn't at all. Yeah. No, it's just a, a brief encounter with Alan and they go away. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, what, if you read the original script and then watch this, you, you might get something else out of it. I don't know, but I, I like that kind of behind the scenes stuff. That's why I like collecting these old scripts and stuff. But uh, yeah, I started at two and a half and I went to three. I cannot go any higher than a three for this. I don't know how part two is going to rate and I don't know how part three is going to rate, but we're doing these individually. So I think part one is definitely a three, but definitely no more than that. Yeah. 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 Okay. I said all that with my arms crossed like I'm angry. (laughs) But no, I... Yeah, uh, three. That's being generous, but it's it's a yeah. It's alright. Um, I do like episodes that focus on Alan Peck, but they could have done even more, perhaps. But there is more to come. There's two episodes more, in fact. So next week we will be reviewing. Yes, it's us again. 
it'll be Matt and myself. So next week is Breaking Up Is Easy To Do Part 2, where Al makes true of his threat to move out. But what about custody of the two TVs? The kids, Al, the kids, Al leaves to peg. In foresight, he has hidden a nest egg in a secret compartment in the toilet seat. Peg becomes depressed, but the kids decide to find themselves a new stepdaddy. Marcy is ecstatic about Al's departure and has another plan to cheer Peg up. Meanwhile, Al is trying out the Bachelor lifestyle, complete with a new look. So that's part two of three, and that will be covered next week. Meanwhile, I want to say thank you for Stefan for joining us. Um, it's really good that we got to do this, because the show would have finished before we had a chance to record with you because we've enjoyed listening to you on the other podcasts but the guys had a monopoly on you until until now so i don't think we're going to get a chance to record any more episodes in the, later in the season so if there's anything else you want to say um while you're here now with us um I'm not sure when the last episode you're recording is, or if this is it, I have no idea. You're probably going to record something else with with the other guys. But if you want to take any opportunity now to say anything, then by all means. Yeah, I mean, it was great recording with you too. Could I do at least a message for the the final? Of course. The final one when we do that. Like, yeah. I don't have to join y'all, but I could just record something and you could put it in. Yeah, definitely. Right. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're I welcome. say any time, but we're running out of time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you for joining us all the way from Minnesota, Stefan. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, thank you, for Stefan, for joining us in our Australian nudie bar. And we will be back next week. Same bunny time, same bunny channel. <laughs>